Glicks. I thought you said Dallas was coming home from Monster Island. I did. However, Jimmy's teleporter is having a tiny problem. I decided to get Dallas a ticket on the Galaxy Express 3-9. Oh, well that makes sense. When is he gonna be back? Sooner than you may think. Okay, what is happening here? Where are we? Glicks, give us a situation report. Currently we are on the planet Geekery. Be warned, our impossibility drive may cause distortions uh -oh. as we traverse this land. Impending impossibility engaging in three, oh two, oh one. Hello, Devoted Geeks. Welcome to ComTalk, the podcast extension of Geek Devotions, a show from Devoted Geeks who are devoted to letting people know that they're loved. I'm Dallas. I'm so glad you are joining us for episode 77. It's been a long time since I've been on the show. I've been stuck in quarantine on a mysterious island in an undisclosed location named Monster Island. And uh, currently, Glix has uh, picked me up on uh, the Galaxy Express 999, or 39, however you want to say it, because, um, well, there's a teleporter on the Monster Island, but they have a little problem and uh, we're not getting into that right now but anyways joining me today for this podcast as i go home home sweet home is uh, like eight time author actor dancer uh suave buccaneer buccaneer i don't know what it is he does everything i don't know what i it's, i'm amazed at the amount of stuff this guy does and the uh, the director of the film vault himself ladies and gentlemen nathan marchin how's it going nathan hello devoted geeks <laughs> actually, it's curator, not director. Oh, curator, my bad. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to get you on the board of directors. I thought if we used vocabulary, that would work. Possibly. The, the I'm telling you, dude, we're here to talk about anime. I, have you ever seen Evangelion, the Genesis? Yes. I'm getting very Sailor vibes from the board. I'm just saying. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Thank God that you're getting you're getting to me when I'm off work because my gosh they just implemented new uniform the codes everything's color coordinated and I'm telling you I swear they did this just to spite me you know what the, the <laughs> color they decided to make everybody in the radio and the radio show the radio show? what bubblegum pink what yeah <laughs> yeah somebody so jumpsuits we used to wear all the time. Orange, I think orange looks good. Are you sure they weren't originally white, but somebody accidentally like threw some red in there, and they're like, "Well, we gotta do something with them." It's it's like red versus blue. It's not pink. <laughs> it's lightish red. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> oh man, I love it. I love it so much. So for those of you who don't know Nathan, Nathan's been on our show before a couple of times in the past, and he's actually done a devotion for us. He did one of this past season, uh, talking about Godzilla, reading from his book that he has. Uh, Nathan, real quick, in like two minutes, can you tell our audience a little bit about you and what you do with Monster Film uh, Vault, our Monster Island Film Vault, and uh, some of your, your book side adventures? Two minutes, go. I feel like I should start it off and by quoting Darkseid from Superman the Animated Series. I have many things. <laughs> the, I've done a lot of stuff, as you've pointed out. Uh, uh, currently, my one of my big projects is I am the curator of the Monster Island Film Vault here on Monster Island. And uh, I have the podcast that co comes out twice a month. If there's Because uh, I put them out, uh, episodes out on Wednesdays. The second and fourth Wednesday. So if there's a fifth Wednesday, you get a bonus episode. So yesterday there was a bonus episode. I interviewed a guy who just published his own book. So that was 
really exciting. And the so I, I do that. Uh, the tagline for the podcast is Seeking Entertainment and Enlightenment through Tokusatsu. It's about film appreciation. We're not a review podcast. Right. So we're about learning everything about these movies and talking about what makes them great, whether that is the filmmaking techniques themselves or especially thematically. One of the big trademarks is I do a lot of research on the culture and history behind these to help put them into perspective, which is actually something that I did a lot when I was in college studying literature. They, you know, right. Everything in the perspective is it gives you a greater appreciation. But as you That's awesome. mentioned, I'm uh, I'm an author. I have a lot of, uh, I'm in several anthologies. I've done novels, uh, a lot of fiction writing. I've done a couple of devotional books. Devoted geeks have heard. <laughs> you have they have. Eric Anderson on to talk about them. And I read an excerpt from the uh, from one of them for one of your devotional videos. And yeah. I'm trying to think what else. The, Bro, you do so much. Yeah, I don't know I how know. you find time for all of it. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know, people think that, like, especially when I'm thinking of the podcast, that you can't be creative and analytical at the same time, to which I say, hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put a pin in that. Let me show you yeah. something. <laughs> so uh, it's it's like I can't turn off either. I can't turn off my creative writer brain when I do everything else that I do. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm, right now I'm actually thinking back to when I was in college and I was taking a, it was called Critical Approaches to Literature. And mm-hmm. what it was called. Something like that. But it was about <laughs> lit, lit class, but it was, the big focus was actually analyzing it. And right. we read a, what I thought was a brilliant short story called The Lottery. And when I read it, I thought, this seems like it would have been perfect for the Twilight Zone. So, because, I don't know why, maybe because I was bored or something. <laughs> the intro to my paper on that short story was what I thought would have been Rod Serling's monologue if it had been an episode of The Twilight Zone. And my professor loved it and made me read it in class. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Like, I'm having people read their papers. You're going first. (laughs) Wow. That's crazy, man. So you're you're obviously a man who's who's talented you're, you're you're imaginative you have a lot of creativity going on and i want to encourage everybody please check out monster island film vault because it's a fantastic podcast it's one of my favorite ones to listen i, I to be honest nathan i only have like five or six podcasts to listen on a regular basis and yours is one of them you're on the short list so <laughs> just give me a like what me and redeemed otaku and, uh, <laughs> retro uh, retro Vill- right? yeah, victims and villains bmv and also geeks under grace they're like my top ones i listen to on a regular basis so Oh man, you need to. You would like Geeks Under Grace. They talk about geek culture as a whole, and uh, they're normally like doing, "Hey, this was coming out. This was coming through," and it's it's really interesting. So you should check them out. Yeah, I am but, admittedly a bit of an Uber nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you are, man. You you are everywhere, which is why I wanted you on here. Certain things, and it seems like depending on what era of my life it is, I'm known for different things. Like for a while, I was the superhero guy. Now I'm the right. kaiju guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you actually got me like because like people like I met you. A couple years ago when we, Celeste and I did King of the Monsters Month for Geek Devotions, which is all about Godzilla. And so I was like, I got to bring this guy on. And so I brought you on and uh, we had a great conversation about it. You helped me out. You actually, uh, you did like uh, kaiju uh, fact drops while during this live stream that we were doing a video game. Yeah, with, uh, from um, what was Francisco from Retro. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so King of the Monsters. Right. Yeah. And so. From that point on, people think I'm like this massive kaiju fan, which I'm legitimately, I'm getting into it. I really enjoy Godzilla and all that stuff. But you, sir, you were like 
You, I look to you. I'm like, I don't know. Ask, ask Nathan. But what people don't realize is you are in so many things. Also, like I'm looking at the background of your video. You got it looks like Thor. You got uh, a, a a poster of uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and all kinds of stuff. And so Fantasy 15. Oh, to that. That's I, legit. Man, I, I got it because uh, well, when I moved out here, and right. one of my friends gave me some posters to put up in the apartment. And so it, th that came with it. And even though I'm not a gigantic Spider-Man fan, I absolutely right. adore Stan Lee. <laughs> so I, I'm just like, you know what? It's It stands. It, it's going right. Up, so. That's awesome. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be talking about a very particular anime. Since we're on the Galaxy Express 999, I figure we need to talk about some anime together. And uh, I'm a big fan of anime. I know you're a big fan of anime also. And uh, so just out of curiosity. Oh, my man, you got the anime. <laughs> That's awesome. Three characters, I'll be impressed. Uh, we'll see, we got the dude from Trigun. You got Ed from um, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. And is that the kid from... Um, yeah, it is that the kid from um, um, Digimon? No, that's another oh. Ed. Have you seen Cowboy? Oh, Bebop? That... oh yes, yes, yes. Bebop, so, Rick <laughs> Ed from Cowboy Bebop. Oh, that's cool. And Bash. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so let's get into this. So, real quick, just um, briefly, let's talk about some of our interest in anime. Um, I know that I'm. I'm interested in anime for a long time. I've been in it for a long time. But how did you get into anime as a person? Uh, that's the interesting thing. I, I I, like to say I didn't get a proper introduction to anime until I was in college. But oh, okay. I discovered, actually, that a lot of stuff I had seen growing up was actually anime. Right. I just didn't realize it. <laughs> stuff like, uh, like Pokemon. I, right. I didn't realize Pokemon was anime. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, although that was more what my siblings were into because they were they were more the the target age for that. Right. I was slightly too old. And, <laughs> uh, or Digimon, that was also anime. So I knew there were a lot of stuff I saw that was anime. Right. Know. That's why I say I got my proper introduction when I was in college. And then that's when I started seeing, I guess for lack of a better way to put you, some more grown up. <laughs> <Stuff>. <laughs> Like yeah, yeah. Bebop. So, you know, right. Bebop was my first proper anime, I was like to say, and it's one of my favorites to this day. And then yeah. my friends decided to be insane and show me Neon Genesis Evangelion. But I, and I, oh, it was less because I thought that, it was a good show and more because they wanted to see me react to it every episode. Because, bro, dude, that's an emotional heart trip right there. If I will tell you right now, whatever you do, don't watch the movies. I, and oh, I don't mean yeah. like the reboot movies that have been coming out the last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the original, oh, yeah. like yeah. Death and Rebirth and the end of Evangelion. Don't. I made that may mistake. Have done that, may have made that mistake in college when I was myself, myself brother. <laughs> I did not heed the warning and watch the end of Evangelion, and then all I could say for fifteen minutes afterward was, "Oh, good God." <laughs> That's pretty much it. So, so you you kind of came into anime at, at an older age when maybe you could think a little bit more, but you realized there was this exposure. And to me, I was kind of in a similar boat. I was exposed to anime from a very young age. Uh, I watched. Uh, there was just stuff that came on TV all the time. I didn't know it was anime at the time, but it was oh, Dragon Ball. Uh, Z I another one. I had friends who were into Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Like, I grew up with Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. I grew up with Sailor Moon, all those type of things. But even before there was like, t- t- like, hey, man, don't don't make me get Bex after you. I now, thanks to the t- you know, the uh, teleporter shenanigans, <laughs> to, I have my own little clone saga going on. I have a magical <laughs> sister. It's, I'm telling you, I have, life is never boring here on Monster Island. I can see that. So, but I grew up with all these things, even before Toonami, man, there was stuff that came on oh, and, uh, oh. oh man, love Toonami. But back in the nineties, back in the nineties, I don't know if you remember the sci-fi channel had this thing where in the morning times they would play on Saturday mornings, they would have this block where they play an anime. And that's where I got a lot of my exposure to anime in the early days. I watched stuff like the, the, the Saturday morning spot specifically, but I remember, cause you have to understand I didn't grow up with cable. Yeah. Right. The way I got to see anything on cable was to go visit grandma and grandpa. They had cable. Same here. <laughs> staying overnight at grandma's house, grandma and grandpa's house, and then I'd wake up and you know there's the sci- and I'm like, oh, what's on Sci-Fi Channel? And I'm like, they, right. Sci-Fi Channel cartoon. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I okay, what's this? And I turn around, it's like that's an episode of Transformers I never saw. Alrighty, and you know, and then but then after that, it would be something like. Bionic six. I'm like, what the frick is this? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, man. It was a while back then, but like, that's where I got introduced to a lot of early anime. I got introduced to stuff like Iria, Akira. Um, there's some other really interesting ones. Oh man, Akira was a mind trip, bro. We'll talk about that one another day. But one of the ones I got introduced to, thanks to Sci-Fi Channel as a young man, was Galaxy, Galaxy Express nine nine nine, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Is this films? This we're on the train. We're, we're, we're riding this thing out. And just so you guys know, we're going to talk about the, we're going to kind of talk about our personal exposure to it. We're going to talk about some of the major themes in it. And then we're, uh, the, the, the train's going to take a quick pit stop. And then we're going to board back on. We're going to talk about some review. We're going to actually give a review of the film itself, uh, our personal thoughts on it. But let's kind of gear into this. Um, Nathan, before you and I prepared for this, had you seen Galaxy Express 999? Yes and no. Oh, awkward. Was this like one of those outer body experiences? Was this like the magical girl clone that was going on? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> as you know, the I do a podcast on kaiju. There is a kaiju connection with this movie. I was wondering about it. You said that. I was like, what is it? Have you ever heard of Super Monster Gamera? Yeah. I think from you. Yeah, <laughs> I never watched it. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the the last of the Showa era Gamera movies before the the nineties trilogy. Which I introduced you to Guardian of the Universe, right? This was the last movie that got made, and then there were no Gamera. There was no Gamera for fifteen years. And oh wow! If you see Super Monster Gamera, you would understand why. Um. <laughs> uh, you know how people complain that Godzilla's Revenge is full of stock footage? Yeah. Oh, is this the one you were telling me that's like just stock footage of all the other movies? Yeah. What? And, and it's not even like like Godzilla's Revenge where it's just like, you know, a couple minutes here and there and they'll intersperse new footage in the middle of it. They'll put a new sound effect or music, something like that. It's actually st- stock footage used cla- uh, with class. And honestly... What? I think there's a ju- they did it because of budgetary constrictions, but I think there's a genuine thematic and story reason that it works really well. But I'll spare you that analysis because we need to stay focused. But right. 
Super Monster Gamera was so... There's a lot I could say about that movie, period, but that movie was so desperate, so absolutely desperate to pad things out with stock footage. They didn't just stop at all the Gamera movies. No! They threw in the opening shot of Galaxy Express 999 in there. Are you for real? Yeah. <laughs> out of nowhere, the, 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 an animated train flying in space just appears because they spliced in a clip from this movie. Oh, oh man, that's like some straight up Bollywood stuff right there. Sense, why is this here? Why is this here? Why are you splicing in an anime? I don't understand movie. Why, why? <laughs> I have joked so, for a long time that there are three questions that have plagued mankind for centuries. One is, mm -hmm. what is the meaning of life? Which apparently, if you talk to some people, it's 42. But <laughs> that means thing. Is, why do bad things happen to good people? And the other one is, why does Super Monster Gamera exist? <laughs> <laughs> for this podcast, that's why. <laughs> All right, so that was your only exposure to Galaxy Express beforehand? Yeah, pretty much. I had heard about it uh, uh -huh. only by name, and I just never got around to being able to actually see it. Okay, so cool. I kind of wanted to jump at the opportunity because it always came across as something of an anime classic. Not right. quite on the levels of, say, like Ghost in the Shell or Akira or right. anything like that, but a, right. a classic in one form or another. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of that's because of the art, and we'll get into a little bit later. It actually won an award, a major award back in the 70s uh, for the art that took place in it. All right, so so you're, you came into this raw, completely raw, as far as what this film is going to be. Um, what about, because, and, and here's the deal. When you talk about anime, sometimes you got you to gotta depend on who you're talking with. And uh, anime from different eras definitely carries a different feel, a different style. It very much reflects the way that filmmakers made films in those eras. And, uh, of course, art changes a little bit. And what I love about this, this uh, the, the series, I'm sorry, not series, but the the story, Galaxy Express uh, 909, was actually done by a guy named uh, Lichi, Lichi uh, Matsumoto. I can't say his first name, so we're going to say Matsumoto. I could but he it, I might be able to tell you. <laughs> But Matsumoto, it's L-E-I-J-I. Uh, L-E-I-J-I? -E yeah. Say Leiji? Leiji? I don't know. His original name was Akira. He changed his name to this as uh, a pen name later. And so Akira Matsumoto, but he wrote this originally uh, back in the day, and he had his own particular style of doing certain things. And um, But it's definitely locked into that 70s time feel. And um, I've watched a lot of anime from the 70s over the years just because I'm interested in – I'm kind of a film nut. I like to watch things from certain eras and get a feel for things. Have you experienced a lot of stuff from the 70s in the past yourself? Specifically, I can name the the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah. Was, I, think, I love that one. Probably my first 70s anime, I would say. Right. And <laughs> – Oh, man. We're getting into some more kind of infamous kaiju stuff here. <laughs> heard, well, in the United States, uh, have you ever heard of Attack of the Super Monsters? Attack of the Super Monsters? I have not. Yeah, that was an interesting little thing. And uh, <laughs> um, one of my guilty pleasures. <laughs> right. The it's Attack of the Super Monsters was actually a movie. That was made in the United States, but all they did was they took the first four episodes of a Japanese television show, spliced them together, dubbed it, and called it a movie. Oh, really? Yeah. 
And it was based on uh, the epi- the show that they borrowed this from was a show called and it's Japanese. It, it's it's a Japanese show, but the title sounds weirdly German. It is mm-hmm. Dinosaur War Eisenborg. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to understand, this was made by the same studio that made all the Ultraman shows. Oh, yeah. And then I've been told that they had animators who went on to make Gundam working on this. That would make sense. This is a show that is both anime and tokusatsu. Oh. So Now, if you could do me a favor, explain to our audience what tokusatsu is, because that's a big part of your stuff. But if you could like define that just in like two sentences. Or- yeah. uh, tokusatsu is a Japanese term for, it's called uh, like special filmmaking or something like that. It's stuff that's special effects driven. Right. It's film or television, and that could be kaiju, it could be superhero. I've even seen disaster movies that are technically tokusatsu. Oh, wow. So if it's special, if it has a lot of special effects and special effects driven, it's considered tokusatsu. Right. So if any, if you've seen Ultraman, think Ultraman, except all of the characters <laughs> are anime, but all the right. special effects are tokusatsu. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Really bizarre, especially <laughs> points where they animate characters over the tokusatsu. It is really weird, and I highly recommend actually watching Attack of the Super Monster because it is hilariously bad. Oh man, I'll have to check. I love the it. Dubbing is ridiculous, and I love it. The oh man, I love those actually. Premise is essentially a team of superheroes with. I don't know, Power Ranger style vehicle things that can combine, or maybe it's more like Voltron, but no giant. Right. So right. They can combine together and all of that sort of stuff. And they are fighting an underground civilization of sentient dinosaurs bent on <laughs> who are led by Lord Tyrannus. Who is oh my God. Here, who is here on the island, but he's like a hobo. He just <laughs> tries to use his mind control powers on the other kaiju and they are unamused. Oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's your experience with 70s anime. Now, are you familiar with uh, Gotcha Man? Yes. Okay, Gotcha Man started off in the 70s. That was a big thing. And so there's definitely like a. I really want to see Gotcha Man. I've wanted to see it for a long time. Oh man, there I've watched I've watched the one of the reboots of Gotcha Man back in the 90s, and then later I found the original series back in the day. Uh, fun story: I had a boss that I was working with uh, in at Hastings. I don't know if you guys have a Hastings over there. Uh, on Monster Island. We used to have them all over the place here in the States, but uh, they closed down. And I cried. But anyways, Hastings. And I don't remember a Hastings. <laughs> it's uh, It was mostly like, I think, a Southern thing, but it was like a, think of it as a as a movie store, video game store, boutique, bookstore, and a coffee shop all in one. I think that's called heaven for me. <laughs> that, I mean, just about. I mean, it's just about there, man. And, and it really is. Oh, they're comic books. Actually, they bought out a comic book distributor right before they closed down. So, uh, but one of my bosses, she was a. Uh, we we're going through some stuff, and she's like, "Check this out." And I was like, "I saw some. I saw the the a remake." And she's like, "You need to watch this one." And so I did, and it was it was pretty legit. But it, that '70s animation style, it's it's very flat. Unlike like you see modern anime, they're they're lacing stuff over with a lot of 3D graphics and stuff like that. But back in the 70s, it was very flat. The uh, edit styles, because of the rate they're pushing out product, I, I don't think they could w- quite hit that that uh, 24 frames a second, 30 frames a second was, in their animation. It was the speed that needed that it needed to be made. It was budgetary constrictions and exactly and for a certain amount of product. So they had to come up with 
these stylistic choices try to get around it. And the funny thing was those actually became just tropes of anime for a really long time. And to a certain extent, they're still used today. That's how influential it was. So the idea of, you know, if you can't have a whole lot of frames, then the frames you have do make them look as cool as possible. Exactly. It was, you know, you find the best poses for your characters and (laughs) using them. Right. Or you reverse them and then use them again. Or you you create the illusion of movement by making the camera pan around on a single cell. Right. And so, I mean, a lot of creativity went into this stuff in the 70s. But somebody who's like, who's just watched anime from like the last maybe 20, 30 years, you walk into the 70s anime and you, it's a little jarring. I mean, which is real. It's like, it's kind of rough. It's a little jarring, but it's interesting. Uh, to say the least, if you can get past that first little bit. So, Galaxy Express 999, um, that has a lot of interesting themes, in my opinion. And, and Nathan, let me know if you're, what your thoughts are on this. Um, first off, it is what is considered a space opera. Now, I don't um, space operas. my man, you know, I heard Jimmy, we were, uh, yes. your producer, likes them too. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> producer, his life is a space opera. <laughs> we're still not sure how old he really is. <laughs> I don't know how he's not dead. I mean, I know, right? <laughs> I've seen the movie that was based on, you know, a part of his biography and a very definitive death. I'm just saying. But I know, right? Well, Matsumoto, who, <laughs> well, Matsumoto, he was known for space operas. He did stuff. He did this. He did Captain Harlock. He did. Which, um, I did not uh, know this was a Captain Harlock movie going in. <laughs> so the whole yeah, he, was like, what? Captain Harlock? Oh yeah, man! Movie. Yeah, this was a Captain Harlock movie. Basically, if Matsumoto's again one of these characters I've always heard about, but I've never actually seen anything. But I've oh yeah for a really long time. Oh man, you should you should check some of his stuff out now. His the original stuff of of Harlock, it's rougher to watch. It's definitely geared towards a younger audience. There's some new stuff like uh, Cosmo Warrior and everything that's uh that's a lot more up to date. It's really good. Uh, there's also a kind of a 3D animated, not uh, anime, yeah, 3D animated uh, Captain Harlock film that came out a couple years ago. That I think it's on. Uh, uh, I don't know, Crunchyroll, not Crunchyroll, Retro Crunch. No, something. It's on some of the stream platform. <laughs> I'll check Retro Crunch, and I just decided to uh, make a proper account for Crunchyroll because they, <laughs> they have Ultraman shows on there. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's just anime and that you had to pay to see it. No, it's we want to put up with commercials. So. <laughs> well, Matsumoto also did a very popular anime called Space Battleship Yamato, yes, which, which again was so really want to see. It's again, one of those ones I got introduced to it uh, later in life and I went back watching the older stuff. It's really interesting. Uh, what I find fascinating is a lot of people, they are diehard fans of some of these things. They don't see some of the connections. Now, I don't know about connections of Battleship Yamato into the Space Park uh, um, Harlock. But a lot of his stuff, Matsumoto connected his stuff using uh, Harlock and Esmeralda in different ways. By the way, and, there, yeah. I'm actually going to be covering a movie on the film vault that I'm very certain uh, was part of the inspiration for Space Battleship Yamato. Oh, wow. Very cool. 1963. Now, they don't go into space in that, but it right. does have a flying submarine with a drill in front. So, <laughs> might have to check that one out. Yeah. And uh, what was it? Um, I just, 
but within the last year, I saw an anime that uh, a space opera anime that was uh, uh, was a uh, was it uh, the irresponsible captain? I can't remember his name. It was a, it was a '90s anime that actually. Oh really? I wish I could remember what it was now, but it was actually I don't know. good. I thought. Oh cool. Let me know what it was. So, but here's the I don't know if you knew this. Um, the Galaxy Express nine uh, three nine the movie is one of those condensed versions of an entire series. That actually a, explains some things. It was like a hundred twenty eight episode series originally, <laughs> and they spaced it down into two hours. And a guy named Rintero worked with Matsumoto to make this happen. Now Rintero is one of those guys who like. He does. He's worked on all kinds of anime, and it's hard to figure out what's who uh, that he's done it because he adjusts to the the writers and producers. Like he's the most easy guy to work with because he's like, "What do you want? All right, we'll make it happen." And so he doesn't actually have his stamp on anything. He did one of my favorite films of all time, one of my favorite anime films of all time, which is Metropolis, which was uh, a, uh, a Kira Toriyama, not Toriyama, Asama uh, uh, Tezuka, Tezuka's. Yeah. Um, I, I love Tezuka. Yeah. And uh, he did Metropolis. He directed that. I've actually seen that. It's been a very long time, but I have actually. Oh man! And I'm pretty. It's sure that was inspired by the German short, uh, the German silent film. Yep. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm point, for those of you not watching me, I was just pointing at the uh, the poster for the German silent film on my on my wall. So, but he condensed this down into two hours. And when you do that. You have to ask yourself, what are you doing? Like you have, you you have to make a statement, and so I, for me, I really believe the 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 overarching theme is found in the opening credits of, of the film, where they have this poem that's being written up on the front end, and it ends with it's talking about about you know there's for as long as there's been there's been stars, and man has only seen it for a little bit of time, and long after man is gone, the stars will remain, and there's this line in it that says while it lives, man himself. Humanity looks up and considers its own destiny. And for me, I really feel like that's what the the theme, the overarching theme of the film. And if you walk in understanding that, I feel like the film takes on a brighter uh, note. It, it takes on a much deeper, like we're, we're contemplating life. And the, the stops that you see take place, and we're going to get into some of the stuff that takes place here in a minute, makes sense. And uh, for those of you who don't know, the way the film works out is you got a young boy named uh, Tetsuro who is on a quest of revenge. Tetsuro. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he's on he's on a quest for revenge uh, because uh, Count Mecca, who is this mechanized in- individual, uh, shot and killed his mom as a trophy, like literally, like like hanger on the wall, like a dadgum moose trophy. Yeah, and uh, it was. We get to that part in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get into that. To be honest, I mean, the the scene where she gets murdered was bad enough, and then right. Oh my gosh! So he goes on this quest. Well, the only way for him, his mindset is this: I'm going to go to the last stop on the Galaxy Three Nine and uh, get a free mechanized body, and I'm going to kill Count Mecca. And um, it all kind of goes to crap at first, and uh, and then he meets this young lady named Mattel who. She, she sees him and she sees something in him. She's like, I'm going to help you. And so she He's gives him a free ticket. Her because she reminds him of his mother. Exactly. And so they make a couple stops on their trip. Now, in the series, they make a lot of stops on the trip. <laughs> but it's 128 episodes. And uh, 
it, but this obviously is a two hour film. So they stop in a few places and I'm just going to run through a couple of places that, that, uh, of key things that kind of stuck out to me as far as the theme. And Nathan, if you could just chime in and tell me of your thoughts on this and tell me if you see some other aspects where we're, where this theme is, or actually let me ask you this first. Before we get into this. I do want to kind of throw out this overarching thing that came to mind, Yeah, which is this is a hero's journey. This is a classic oh, yeah. hero's journey. It's in a way it's the odyssey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stop and think about it. Where the character has a quest to go on, he has a place to go to. In the case of Odysseus, it was I want to go home. Right. In the kid's case, it's I have to. It, it's not so much. Not at first. It's not about. Well, it is still about getting to a place, but it's also you know I have to avenge my mother. Right. He has to make all of these stops on this train journey. They right. So it's. Uh, in order to do that, which is much like Odysseus, he had to make stops on all these different you know, islands and places that right to his journey along the way. Right. So in a way, the he's not he's not sailing the sea; he's sailing the stars. And instead of a ship, well, it's a ship that looks like a train <laughs> because. <laughs> But that was that was a little odd. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it's space train man. It, it, we'll get to that. But you know, but they, <laughs> he's setting sail on something. Except in this case, it's the stars. Right. So yeah, and absolutely, I, and I, I until this moment, I didn't really thought about that. But really, is it is the hero's journey, which in of itself is a conversation about what is the point of man in 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 our lives that we live. Yeah, and if and what he does, he grows up on, over the course of this hero's journey. And if you look at other you know, classic cases of the hero's journey. I mean, the hero's journey is, I mean, Joseph Campbell really made it well known back in the seventies. Right. Aimed to it, but right. And explain what it was, but it's been used by writers since you know, ancient Greece. I mean, that's what I said. Absolutely. The Odyssey. You know, right. Uh, that is a classic hero's journey. Star Wars is a classic <laughs> hero's journey. And the same right. thing happens. You have this young man who, accepts a call to adventure, and then as it progresses, he grows. And uh, the Hobbit is a hero's journey. The, right. And Absolutely. Way, he does things like he has like these little rites of passage. So, for example, Star Wars, Luke is given a lightsaber. In right. The Hobbit, Bilbo acquires Sting. So right. He acquires the weapon by which they acquire the weapon by which they use to defeat their enemies. Right. Progress through their quest. And in Tetsuro's case, he gets a gun, which would probably terrify some people now. Probably. <laughs> and that was something that, that I was I was thinking about watching. <laughs> like, huh, underage drinking. <laughs> gun. Yeah. This, hey, the kid drank this milk. He drank gone. milk. <laughs> which is maybe the future. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. So let me, let me point out some things I saw along this way about these themes of life and death and what does it mean to be alive. That really seems an overarching thing. So his first stop was on the planet Titan, where uh, Mattel gets but right, but it uh, stuff that Jimmy would pipe in and say, <laughs> "Oh, Jimmy." So, but um, this is the planet where Mattel actually gets kidnapped, mm-hmm. and he's got to figure out why. And again, remembering that this is a a originally 128 episodes and they're condensing it down. You, you, it feels just jointed at first. Yeah. Uh, I was, was, uh, I was, uh, doing a, a stream party, you know, with, uh, one of my friends for this. Right. And he got lost. Cause he's like, 
That's why, <laughs> it, it, why you're saying the fact this is 128 episodes that they crammed into two hours because he was like, how many ideas are they going to throw into this? <laughs> and for me, I just kind of went with it because I'm used to reading and experiencing big, grand science fiction universe. Right. So the idea right. that you can have a universe that's so big and there's a lot of stuff in it that you, right. you don't experience everything in it, it helps to enrich that universe, that world. Absolutely. So I was actually kind of fascinated by all the things that got thrown in here. And I, I, well, but I was kind of thinking, like, you could make a whole story, a whole movie. Yeah. Or, you know, a whole episode or something just on this right. idea. Right. Absolutely. And and that's the thing is way it's actually <laughs> Well, that's the thing is like I what I think happened. I haven't watched the entire series is they picked out key stories that told this overarching thing. In that one it, there was a lot of conversation um, where Tetsuro meets an older lady who gives him this gun, gives him a, a hat, which if you're a, if you're a Harlock fan, you recognize the hat and the the whole get outfit. You're like, "Wait a minute. That looks like a particular character." But then she has this conversation about growing up and how she has to let she had to let her son go. A loving mother must let her her child go so they can do their own thing. Hero's journey theme that I mentioned earlier because that's right. It's growing up, right? And so for that, like that's a whole aspect. Like, what's the purpose of of a mother? Well, you raise a child up and then you release them into the world. And um, you know, we for you and I, we're, we're Christians, we're believers in Jesus Christ, and so we understand that you know the uh, uh, you should a a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. They grow up and they go on to do their own thing to establish what God has for them. And so there is this conversation within right there on Titan of, hey, we have to grow up and we have to release things, even if it's scary, because the mom she's like, I don't know if my son's coming back. He may be dead. And at the same time, even in that mindset, she's going, I'm going to pass something on to the next generation. Like when she handed him that gun and she handed him that stuff, it's like I'm passing on something special to somebody younger because I feel like this kid has something to go forward with. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so then we move on from from there to Pluto uh, because – um, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> it's less like we're talking about it like – well, they says like now going to the planet Pluto. So it's like, do you think we should tell them it's not a planet anymore? I was like, no, <laughs> it is a planet. <laughs> but on Pluto, you meet a character named Shadow, who's a young lady who uh, is having to. Uh, her job is to care for all the bodies of people who have given up their bodies to become mechanized. It is and, such a weird concept, and I love it. Right, it's such a great science fiction concept. This because what it is is that it's it's a graveyard made of glass. Right, the bodies are perfectly preserved, and you can see every single one of them, and you can right walk across this thing, and you can see all these people, and so that's freaky enough. Right, and then you add on top of the fact that it's it's people who. If you want to look at it this way, they're not truly dead. It's just that they have discarded this body for another one, which then right. gets into the whole concept of, you know, are they still human? Because now they have a mechanical body. So it's just, there's so many ideas just running around in that. And then, right. Because the uh, Mattel, not the toy company, but Mattel, right. <laughs> it goes up to one of them and she kneels at it. Mm. And because she's visiting someone and, Mm -hmm. The idea that that's how you would visit somebody 
in a cemetery like this. I mean, just that concept alone is such a, it's so crazy to me. It is. It's wild. When you fit it within the context of, you know, you have to start asking yourself, is this person really dead? You know, did the you know artificial body, the robot body, has that been destroyed? Is this person really dead now? Or is it a, am I mourning once what once was? I mean, there's so many questions that right asking about this. Like there was so much depth and beauty in this one scene, in this one aspect yeah. of the whole thing. What's fascinating about this is that Shadow is dealing right. with her own grief. So she's marauding around this place. She's essentially... The, I, what's the word I'm looking for? The gravekeeper? I mean, that's yeah, kind of undertaker. <laughs> but she's marauding this place like she's a ghost because she can't give up her own grief. She's right. Still mourning. So now she has uh. essentially surrounded herself with death, if you want to call it that, or at least a semblance of death. She right. Her appearance is very almost reaper-like. Yeah. Way. She's like she looks like what you would expect to, to see to collect your soul. <laughs> yeah. Right. Absolutely. Really and what's even it Right, it was. And and in the film you see her meet and there's spoilers by the way in this whole thing. <laughs> I'm sure it tells people oh, yeah, that. Dude. But Spoiler she should <laughs> she takes Hesora to her own body, her her own body that's laying there. And she talks oh, about how beautiful it was. That is free, so freaky to think about. Right. So but what's like, interesting is she goes yourself. It's <laughs> Right. But she's like, it was so beautiful that she could never have a, she knew she could construct something. So she, when she got her mechanized body, she didn't want a face for her mechanized body. And uh, Mattel, like she's holding on to Tetsuro, like she wants to hold on to him forever. And Mattel stops her and she's like, and she said something great. She's like, um, where's my, my notes here? Um, she's talking about you can't harm others because of your own regrets. And that's, I mean, that's such a thing that takes place in, in, in life as we're, we're struggling on stuff, we're so hurt and we regret our own decisions that sometimes we lash out and we hurt other people at the same time. And that's not right. Yeah, like I have regrets, but phrase uh, hurting people, hurt people. Exactly. But that's, it's just not appropriate. I know I have regrets. I'm sure you have some regrets, but just because we have regrets doesn't mean we should allow those to cause us to hurt other people at all. And so again, we're building the story of, of understanding what it does it mean to be human, to feel pain, to a degree becoming these me- mechanized uh, machines was a matter of escaping pain, escaping the pain of death. But even in their escape, there's a new pain that's taken place. And that's the pain of what have I lost as a human being? Well, and it, it really, I mean, as corny as it sounds, they lose their humanity because we established very early on in this movie. That right. The, these robot people think they are superior and right. hunt real humans for sport. Right. Because that's how Tessa's mean, mother dies. Right. And, and they don't, Which is they wild. They don't treat her like she has any worth whatsoever. They they treat her like she's an animal. They gun her right. down and then he just walks over and, you know, and just adds insult to injury at that point. He just walks over and rips off her little cloak and it's just like she's just sitting there. Right. And it's just like, huh. Okay. Yeah. It's what? Done. You have destroyed a thing of beauty that had value, that had worth, and you're treating it like it's nothing. Man, it's crazy. All right. (laughs) 
Jeez, that train whistles loud. Which, I mean, yes, because <laughs> you have to, because there's there's sound in space. I had my noise canceling headphones. Indeed. So, which honestly, that that the sound of the train actually reminded me of another aspect that took place, which kind of brings about this whole uh, deeper meaning of life. And that was on the train. You will remember that. Uh, uh, Tetsuro gets told that the only way to find the the time castle to find type Me- Count Mecca was to find Emeraldus, and but she you had she had to find you, and so he sees her ship flying by, and so he's like, I have an idea. Let me take a gun and shoot out a window, and shoot the pirate ship that's flying by. I have opinions on that. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to get into those opinions in the second half of this, but he shoots it. Of course, she comes on board to figure out what's going on, and she interrogates him, and she finds out his plan, and she says something really important to me, and she she reminds Tetsura he only has one life to live, and she's challenging to really think, is revenge really worth this? Is revenge really worth you giving up the one life that you have? Which is interesting because my understanding is that in Japanese culture, revenge isn't looked at as negatively as it is in Western culture. Right. And so you're seeing what honestly seems like a very Western idea. Right. Do you think it's a... Questioning whether or not revenge is actually worth it. Right. Do you think this is a... a um, an idea that slipped in post World War II with the uh, with the Westernization of Japan and and yeah. maybe some regrets from the um, uh, oh what is it called the um, oh man Imperial Japan well no like the the uh, what was that what do they call those um, the suicide uh, plane uh, bombers oh, uh, Kamikaze right do you think it's a regret from the Kamikaze jet because I mean to be honest they lost a generation of men doing that yeah I mean, it wasn't just the Kamikaze pilots they had suicide soldiers right. that would uh, do things like they would uh, they would jump out they would they were on islands and they would run at allied soldiers yelling banzai and they wouldn't be armed but the 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 allied soldiers would just panic and shoot them because they didn't know what was going on they right. thought they were charging but the yeah but at that point they preferred death to dishonor it was right. a very samurai way of doing things right I, I I do think the fact that uh, Western influence has become stronger in Japan, especially post-World War II. I mean, it already had kind of started with the Meiji Restoration. Mm-hmm. The Emperor Meiji started opening up Japan more to the rest of the world, but it exploded after World War II thanks to the occupation. Mm. So uh, that, that wouldn't surprise me. Right. Well, and, and that's the interesting aspect of it, I guess, is that we do see this westernized thing. Even the train itself feels like a westernized thing. Yeah, I mean, there. I'm pretty sure the steam. Uh, there were steam locomotives in Japan. Mm-hmm. The, we do tend to think of them more as an American thing With, or even a European thing, right? You know? But yeah, my understanding is I do think they got over there, right, at some point. But I do think again, it's part of that Western culture influence, right. There's, there's a certain, especially in the United States, because the you know, we have, as Americans, we have mythologized cowboys, mm-hmm. the Wild West, and the steam locomotive is part of that. Right. So, and the fact that the the steam locomotive was really coming onto the scene in the United States during the Western expansion, so it in a way it's kind of symbolic of this idea of you know. 
go west, young man. Right. You know, that sort of a thing. Striking out on a, you know, taking a journey and striking out into the unknown. Right. Really, at that point. Because that was, you know, that was at a time when there were still parts of the map we didn't know what they were. Yeah. And that was exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. So you had this whole thing, and and so if we had the socializer coming in there, Emerald just really does bring this incredible point to him. Like, are you sure this is worth giving up your life? And I really feel like that adds to the concept of what does it mean to be human, and what do we make of it? And then you flash forward a little bit longer later, where Tetsuro meets Tochiro, who is the son of the old lady he met back on Titan, and Tochiro. Uh, again, if you're a Harlock fan, you go, "Holy crap, it's Tochiro!" because he's like. Uh, the sidekick of Harlock, which, interesting, I did some research later. Tachiro is actually one of Matsumoto's original characters in a Western he did called The Gunslinger. And, really? Yeah, he did a Western. I think I'm saying the, the wrong name, actually. It may not be The Gunslinger, but uh, he did a, a – it was a Western. And um, – oh, I'm sorry. Gun Frontier is the name of it. Gun Frontier. Oh. And uh, – but – Chotiro, but this character, he was the the main character, and Harlock was the sidekick in that apparently. And uh, and this is where you, if we get to Matsumoto, the way he links things up. If you watch, um, uh, what is it called? Youth of my my youth of Arcadia, uh, which was a uh, it's a Harlock film that um, you see that Harlock and Chotiro and uh, and oh, can't say his name anymore. <laughs> yeah, Tochiro. Um, they're linked generationally, going all the way back to the days of World War II and one uh, World War II. You had a Harlock and a Tochiro, and their family bloodlines connect and weave throughout history from that point forward. So you see Tochiro here, and in this one, he's run his course. He had a goal; he wanted to do something. He had this passion, and um, but he wasn't able to do it. And he's like, you know, it's all right. And uh, he got he had a plan, and he was going ready to to give up his life to kind of basically. And this is where it gets weird in sci fi. He basically becomes the the brain of the ship for uh, Harlock. <laughs> so, but again, you had this conversation taking place. Not the only time I've seen that happen. You know, thanks sci fi. <laughs> but this is again that whole overarching conversation of what does it mean to be human and to be alive. Well, and I'm surprised you haven't brought this character up yet because we see her throughout much of the film, but the glass girl. Yes, Claire. So what Claire, what, yeah. what about Claire kind of comes out to you about her? Well, it's just interesting because I, it's one of those things where there's a lot of sci-fi in this, mm -hmm. but I feel like with Claire they kind of threw the sci-fi rules out a little bit and went for, I feel like the character exists more for uh, thematic reasons than for the actual universe. She fits in with the universe in that she has an artificial body and she gave up her real body, well, but she gave up her real body because she's essentially a bond slave. Right. Well, she gave her, her mother gave her that body. She didn't give it yeah. up. She was, her mom thought it'd be cool to have a porcelain daughter. Yeah. I thought she was trying to buy back her old body or something. Yeah, Claire was trying to buy back her old body. Yeah, that's what I mean. So she's trying to buy that back. Sure, she's working on it. So that actually that makes a little bit more sense. So why she why she's made of glass? Because like, why would you make a body made of glass? That seems <laughs> very impractical. Right. But that now I forgot about that tidbit. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah. 
So it, it's fascinating. So she's incredibly kind, but you you get you very much get the impression, and she's very beautiful as well. Right. But you get the idea that she's also incredibly fragile, mm-hmm. not only physically, but I think the implication seems to be that, that she's emotionally fragile as well. Right. She cares for people, but she can be hurt. Right. Very easily. She's very empathetic. Right. But and I, and again, it plays with the idea of you know you know what makes us human, and I think with Claire. It's it's the idea being presented is that humanity is transcendental. Mm-hmm. It's not purely physical. Right. You don't have to have a flesh and blood body to be human. Right. Which it definitely fits in with the Christian worldview because if you know if you have a and trust me, I could go on a rant about some of the <laughs> theological things that I think are infesting Christianity and the church at this point. <laughs> I think if you have a proper understanding of, let's say, theology of the body, mm-hmm. if you understand that one one of the things that makes human beings so unique is that we are both physical and spiritual beings. Sure. Angels and demons are purely spiritual. Right. Animals are purely physical. Right. We are both. Right. And that's what makes us different. And I think Claire really does illustrate a part of that. Right. Well, and it's interesting because, like, in Jewish mindset, when you talk about the soul, the soul was not just like the spirit, like we so often think about, but the soul was a combination of the body, the mind, and the spirit of man, all encompassing. And so, like, like which when you think about it that way, it's versus like, uh, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Man, that takes on so much more dimension because it's like you know you're lo- gaining a little role, but you're doing damage to your body because you're not sleeping, or you're losing literally your mind. You're sacrificing emotional stress or everything, or your spirit man dying. And you know, and so there's a lot that goes into that. And I see your point. So yeah. Claire does yeah, a great so job. You're sacrificing your very self, right? At that point, exactly. And, and, and to gain what? Right. You know, it's, kind of back up a little bit is why I've never understood the this mindset that a lot of people had where the they would think oh yeah I'm gonna work 60 70 80 hours I don't know how you work 80 hours a week but 80 hours a week and I'm gonna have all this money all right because I need all this money I was like what's the point right you have no time to do anything with it right or enjoy it right you, What's the point in having all this money, all this wealth, if you have no time to enjoy the fruits of your labor? Sure. Or if you're not working to a goal for a specific goal. I had a buddy of mine, um, and he he worked his butt off recently. And um, in fact, I'll, I'll plug him. His name is Kevin. He runs a uh, a show on YouTube called The Dapper Man, where he does film reviews. And Kevin, episode yeah, he worked his butt off, crazy hours to pay off debt to become debt free. You know, then you you have a goal, and and you're sacrificing yourself for a goal. And we see that in Claire; she sacrificed her being, her fragile body, her fragileness became her biggest strength because she was so empathetic and she cared. She sacrificed herself to save Tetsuro at the end of the film. And I feel like that's something that man that we 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 lose sight of is sometimes we look at weakness as something that just needs to go away, but sometimes our weakness is actually our biggest strength in whatever situation we are in life. This just dawned on me. The there she actually, in a lot of ways, might be the most vulnerable character in this entire film. Right. If you stop and think about it, I mean, she's made of glass, so she's see through, right. can't hide. And 
with I don't want to sound crude, but let's be honest, she's essentially naked. Right. Oh yeah. And she's barren. She's, I mean, she's uh it's featureless nudity. <laughs> you know, right. and it's lessened by the fact that she's glass. Right. But the you know, she's proportioned appropriately, we'll right. say that much. Exactly. And I do think there are points where Tetsuro is uh looking at her a little bit longingly. But <laughs> Well, he blushed quite a bit, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad that was more implied than yeah. this had been a lesser anime. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely but class so, back then. So if you stop to think about it, so you can see right through her, and she is essentially laid bare before the, the whole world. Right. This is all. These are all thoughts that just occurred to me. Oh, yeah. It's kind of nuts to she's, think about. She's really an interesting, complex character for somebody that's in it so little. I'm curious if she plays a bigger part at all in the series. Um, but... Again, she she sacrifices herself. In some ways, she's more human than some of the other human characters in the series or in the movie itself. And so one of the final points I want to bring up about the concept, conversation of what does it mean to be human um, is what takes place with Count Mako when he is destroyed and one of his helpmates is kind of holding on to him. And she brings up this uh, interesting fact that at one point he was a man and that he was uh, he made a choice to become this machine and he become this monster. And uh, but she asks him to take pity on him because at one point he was a man. It's just that he made poor choices, and sometimes there are people in our lives, there in, the, in their walk of life, they make poor choices and they become a monster of some sort. And that it's uh, yes, I mean it's it's terrible some things, but we should have pity on them because they've lost their soul. Basically, they've gained the whole world and they've lost their soul. And some sadly, there's people that are surrounded by the, that have surrounded these individuals out, out of love. They love these individuals, and they and as they're trying to pull them out, they're sacrificing bits of themselves. And they, at one point, they sacrifice so much of themselves for the one that they love, uh, that has obviously become this monster in this case. That they themselves have become what they hated, and it's a sad thing that there's a lot of things that take place in this that shows us, you know, all aspects of man's of the different destinies that man has of choosing to either walk this road of revenge or are sacrificing so much that we become a monster ourselves, or in our using our biggest weakness to take care of somebody, to care for somebody. And so again, that's just kind of the, the overarching themes that I see that take place in this entire film that I think make the film a beautiful piece of work, even though it's 120 episodes condensed into two movies or into two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen far worse condensation. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know if that's quite the right word here, but <laughs> we'll use it. Right. I, I've seen it done worse, right? Infinitely worse. And the funny thing is, I had gotten a little bit of an impression that 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 might have been the case, but I didn't know going in. I I never knew that until you told me <laughs> in the podcast, right? And now it makes sense because again, we'll get into this later. There seems like there's a lot thrown in here, yeah. But the. Uh, again, like for I, like I've been saying, I, I just felt like it made the, the world richer. It felt bigger. Yeah, absolutely. The whole idea. That's the thing that's wonderful. I think honestly, the best science fiction stories mm -hmm. are the ones that give you the impression of a bigger universe, mm -hmm. you, but you don't necessarily have to see all of it. Exactly, and I think that's Matsumoto. Watch that first Star Wars movie. It feels big, right? Even though you're not. You're only seeing a piece of it, right? Absolutely. But you know, but you know, this is a world with history and places and people, and there's so much going on, right? And you know, but we're focusing on Luke Skywalker 
got to save the you know the princess and then we got to destroy the death star right. which that's another star wars parallel in this because when tetsuro starts he has his quest i'm going to kill count mecca right and then with 30 or 40 minutes of movie <laughs> left he, he pulls that off right and and my and then i'm sitting here even my my buddy joe who's watching watching it with me we're thinking What's he going to do for the rest of the movie? <laughs> 40 minutes left. And then after that, he he changes his quest, right. which he had already kind of intended to do this anyway, which was, I'm going to go to the last planet. Right. And I'm going to get a mechanized body. Now it's, I don't want a mechanized body. I don't want to be him. Right. Yeah, I, I'm going to go to that planet and I'm going to, I'm going to destroy it. Yeah. Which seems very grandiose, but you know, he's just like, I'm going to destroy it. So this, nope, this people won't be turned into these monsters anymore. Right, absolutely. And then that becomes his drive. And then we get to that planet and we find out that it's run by very <laughs> terrible beings. So it suddenly feels a little bit more justified. But, mm -hmm. you know, then Tetsuro, this 15-year-old kid, manages to bring about an apocalypse because that's what we do because it's sci-fi and we can figure out how to, you know, hit the exhaust port <laughs> with a because that's how Star Wars is. Hey, well, at first, they explain that later. <laughs> yeah, which is just, you know, at first, it's just, we have to save the princess. Oh, we save the princess. Oh, we have a new quest. You have to go destroy the Death Star. So, right. you know, and the same thing is here. Kill Count Mecha. Oh, we have to go destroy the Mecha. <laughs> and we're going to hit it in its little weak spot with, you know, instead of a proton torpedo, it's the magic orb. Right. <laughs> the magic glowing orb. <laughs> Oh, which we will drop at just the right spot that it will go down to the core somehow. And <laughs> well, yep, that's exactly right. Who would have thought an apocalypse was that easy? I mean, it's, it's the, we're, we're we're halfway there. We're just looking for somebody to drop an orb right now here in the United States. So, <laughs> I think they did. It's called the Rona. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Oh, I hear the whistle blowing for our first our, for the little stop on the train track. So we're gonna take a quick break. And uh, we're going to hear a quick commercial from one of our dear friends. Crikey, looky there. It's a rare tarcophibian. You rarely see such a... Oh, you see that? A crackingless kaiju just chowed down that taco. But what does that even mean? It means that when you're done listening to Calm Talk, check out the Retro Rewind podcast. Oh, okay. All right, so we're back on board the Galaxy Express 3.9. We almost missed it because um, Nathan here was trying to pick up kaiju souvenirs for Dagum Jimmy from the Retro Rewind Planet. <laughs> the Retro Rewind Planet? Oh, yeah, man. That's the home base for Retro Rewind Podcast. And so, By, uh, Jimmy's excited about that. He has a thing for ships. Oh, yeah. So... And Jimmy from NASA. <laughs> right. So we're going to. Half of it is retweets about NASA. <laughs> I have to wonder what NASA thinks of Jimmy's tweets. <laughs> I'm Because <laughs> Jimmy keeps making comments like, Did you forget I built a spaceship for you in the 80s? <laughs> oh my gosh. So. Well, was he did have one person who kept calling him insane for thinking aliens are real. I'm like, I'm sorry, but they are. I mean, did <laughs> you see the movie? So 
<laughs> oh man, I like it. But we're gonna make a switch up. We're gonna talk about what we liked and didn't like about Galaxy Express 3.9. This is kind of where we're gonna get into uh, more of the crux. So we kind of gave a review of the overall Archie theme, which I really think, uh, in my opinion, affects how we view a movie. And I'm I'm curious if it changed how you are gonna rate this movie at the end of our conversation. But uh, what are some things that you liked about the film? Well, actually, one of the things that comes to mind, I given how my friend Joe reacted to it, I think it's both a strength and a weakness because I liked it for this reason. He did not. And I can see how it could be problematic, which is the fact that it crams so much, so much stuff into this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily talking about story so much. At, well, like there's a lot of story crammed into this as well, but it's more like there's so many concepts mm. that are thrown in here. Now, the plot is still relatively straightforward. It's a very much here. This is a quest. This is the goal for the quest. Right. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. Like I said, it's like the Odyssey. Right. So you know, it's like on this island, we fight the Cyclops. On this island, we deal with the sirens. On this island, you know, except in this case, we go to this planet, we do this. And that's what, so there's a progression still. Right. But it feels episodic in a way. But for me, it made the universe feel bigger. Right. And more. Uh, and, more interesting where for my friend who's just like there's so much stuff <laughs> but that helps you though could go, you could go either way with that i liked it for right that reason. i enjoyed it too because of that honestly i like the fact there was so much and again when you get into the concepts of of harlock if you get into the world of harlock and all that stuff it becomes even more expansive for you and i enjoy it because sometimes you watch a movie and it's so thin you know what i'm saying it's like like it's just a straightforward boop, and you're like like what's happening here there was no you didn't feel the gravity. I feel like in the film that you felt the gravity of the situation take place. It was a slow film, but because of the because of this, the world was so much bigger, uh, it kind of highlights aspect of people trying to really figure out what does it mean to be a human being. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit. I actually, again, my friend had it. My friend Joe had issues with this, <laughs> but I actually really like the art style. Yeah. I mean, we've already we started this by talking about how a lot of '70s animes would cut corners. Mm-hmm. This movie had money thrown at it. Yeah, it had a lot of money thrown at it because they weren't really used doing the corner cut techniques in this. Right now, does it have the fluidity, say, of a Disney movie at the time or any Disney movie? <laughs> no, but again, within its own unique style, it is incredible. Right. The, the vistas in this, the in space, the character design is wonderful. Right. I thought, especially, you know, it's interesting. We've been talking about all, I just realized there's a lot of female characters in this, and they are handled, actually, I think, really well. Anime has a bit of a bad rap when it comes to uh, uh, female characters. Right. And this, we've already talked about how there might be some stuff in here that might seem a little unsavory, but it's done so tastefully. Right. And it was. For cheap titillation, it's meant to make some sort of a point. It's either meant to shock you at the horror of it, mm-hmm. while also playing into a central theme, or it's meant to highlight something. You know, the the beauty of these characters. I I don't just mean physically. Right. Absolutely. And, and to be honest, to be fair, Masumoto he was known for having basically a single uh, type that he drew his women in the series and it became a trope to be honest for him of, of all the women. Cause if you, if you were lined up all the female characters, they were the same basic body type. They looked basically the same, but the, the way that he added elements to them, I think 
is what changed the characters dramatically. You know, Mattel, she was this, you know, almost Russian doll, you know, hello, comrade, type of feel. Hair down to her ankles. Right. And so, but... Big old blonde hair. (laughs) Flowing all the way down. Right. But she carried her own self like... like Right. But she carried herself with a sense of... There's a character in Street Fighter that she that she looks a lot like. I'm trying to remember what her name is. I don't is. know. But Mattel... She's Street Fighter Five, and she dresses the same. Oh, really? Blonde hair. I didn't know that. Well, Mattel, yeah. she carries herself in such a way of, like, of like properness, and there's this mystique about her. But then you enter Esmeralda. Again, basic, same basic body form, but the additions of what, what's going on with her, the, the red hair, the way she carries herself, the single scar, you're like, this is a woman you should be afraid of. Like Mattel, you want a hug? You're like, oh, you're a safe person. Esmeralda, I'm like, uh, would you would you like a, a Coke, ma'am? Because I don't want to make you mad. Yeah, uh, apparently it is uh, in the the world of this universe. In this universe, if you have a scar, you are automatically you know get an automatic plus twenty to your awesomeness. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, <laughs> scars do that, man. I mean, it's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, because I, mean, I noticed that like all of the the kind of gritty, scary characters. I'll have scars. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Colleen, that's who. That's who it was. Oh, okay. That was the that's cool. Colleen. So I'm with you on the art, though. I think the art was beautiful, and actually, the, they won an award for the art itself uh, back when the movie first came out in the '70s. So, um, so the art again. If you if you are okay with examining art in its context, this is not going to win. I don't think this is going to win an art award today. But in the context of the '70s. In the early '80s, it was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. I, I will tell you right now, I'll take this over a lot of modern anime styles. Okay, I, I'm serious. Right, I'm serious. There is a there's a tangibleness to it in a way hmm. that you don't get. I think in a lot of it's, I think the same way. I mean, as wonderful as 3D animation can be. Yeah. I mean, come on, I love Pixar. <laughs> Who doesn't love Pixar? If you hate Pixar, you have no soul. But <laughs> <laughs> in every sense of the word, especially the Jewish kind. But, <laughs> That's funny. But, uh, but the fact that you have to stop and think about it, this was, they didn't have computers. All of this, everything you see, hand-drawn. Right. I, I That boggles my mind to think that they put the time into animating every single one of those cells and putting in all those little details. Right. It's just... It's just astonishing thing, and I don't just feel about like that about Japanese animation. I feel like that about any oh, yeah. old anime. The advent of computers, that because it's just like how that is so meticulous. Right. It's t- it takes art. It takes skill for back then, and so that's why I think it was beautiful. But again, I think that do you think that's something though, Nathan? That. What's, we take an average person who doesn't necessarily understand the, the concepts of 24 frames equal a second, who doesn't understand the, the concept of sitting down hand-drawing stuff, and you show this film to them, would they appreciate it as much as you and I do right now? It would depend on... It would depend very much on their taste, and I think their age yeah. as well. I've run into a lot of people who have weird stipulations about, you know, like, I won't watch a movie that's older than I am. Oh, wow. Right, and I knew I used to work with a guy at one point where he said he didn't watch anime that was more than I think five years old. Why? He said because I can't get into the animation style. I was like, Do you realize how much stuff you are missing? I mean, wow, that's okay. 
I don't understand that mindset myself, but there are some people who said they don't they can't watch they, they refuse to watch black and white movies like why <laughs> so like i think some of it and to me some of it is stories we're so used to storytelling uh like people today um they're used to that fast paced boom 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 storytelling whereas you, you you go back even back to the to early 80s things were slower you take it even further back it's a much slower vocal storytelling that takes place yeah. and this uh, is the this kind of rides that line between that, between the the vocal storytelling and then the the action. I think that like I, I mentioned this to you off off air a while back. What there was a there was another reviewer that I was to that talked about the film, and he hated it. Like he hated this film tremendously, and he thought it was slow, it was convoluted. But to be honest, a couple of things. One, I think he missed the point of the story, which was not it was a come to. You know uh, the story of an action-packed film about a young boy becoming a man, but it was the story of of a co- of conversation about what does it to mean mean to be human. But also, he missed the understanding that it's you know it's telling a story in a specific way. It's a conversational thing. It's not this swashbuckling which you think of with Captain Harlock, but it's not that. I mean, he's a space pirate, right? Right, and you miss the word space opera. Again, that's what Matsumoto was known for, a space opera. It was a convoluted, drawn-out story. It was actually, a, the this term space opera is a play on the on uh, the old term Western opera or cowboy operas. And so when you have that in mind, the story becomes much more rich, in my opinion. Well, and operas are meant to be big. <laughs> they're big and they're dramatic. I mean... You ever tried watching an opera? I mean, it's it's loud, it's boisterous, right? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's larger than life because that's the whole point. Exactly, exactly. So, are there any other interesting aspects about this film that really stuck out to you? Well, like I've already mentioned, that I loved all the concepts that are thrown in it. That uh, that really got me excited, and I, I it was a little weird at first, but I liked the juxtaposition. That I thought that was really interesting. I always love watching particularly futuristic science fiction where they juxtapose juxtapose something kind of anachronistic into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I actually, uh, I wrote a, uh, a short story with a uh, starring a character that eventually I wanted to write books about. Mm-hmm. And it was set like 500 years in the future hmm. with a space military. But so you would have all this high tech stuff, ray guns and all of the Star Trek, Star Wars paraphernalia you would expect to see. Right. But he had a ceremonial saber that was a family heirloom, and he kept it with him the whole time. Right. Uh, And then uses that instead of the high-tech stuff to kill an alien assassin that was there. So, so So in this movie, you have the big spaceship. Right. This spaceship, because that's what it is. It's a spaceship. Right. And... It's designed to look like an old steam locomotive. They even call this out. They, they, you know, as uh, Ben Avery would say, they hang a lampshade on it. And <laughs> they actually show you, yeah, it looks like a steam engine and it sounds like a steam engine, but on the inside, it's the freaking Enterprise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a warp core. I mean, they call it something else. I think they call it the dark matter core. A of times. You don't put coal in there. It's, uh, you know, it's a warp reactor, right. essentially. Absolutely. And, so I thought that was really interesting. I don't know why that would exist in a universe unless you just had like some eccentric who just thought, hey, how about I make a spaceship that looks like a, a steam engine and then this guy Robert Zemeckis will see it and make Back to the Future Part 3. 
<laughs> yeah, that seems fair. That seems fair. <laughs> Honestly, I, I enjoy that aspect too of it. The that that weird like it seems out of place, but it fits so perfectly. But again, that's a trip of Matsumoto. The uh, all the way back to uh, space battleship Yamato. The Yamato was a legitimate battleship that Japan had. And yeah, it was a real battleship in World War II. Yeah, and it was legendary. And so taking that and go, we're gonna put this in space, and um, and and doing stuff with it. There's something about it. Um, so Celeste and I, uh, we watched, we try to watch every year on Fourth of July, which for our international audience, that is the uh, day that uh, the United States celebrates our Declaration yeah. of Freedom from uh, the British Empire. But we try to watch. Uh, a a inspiring film on the Fourth of July, uh, one that I think every American should because it brings tears to my every time I see it, and that is uh, Independence Day with Will Smith. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I was bringing up Independence Day, not the movie, but that's the proper name for the holiday. So. Right. So we uh, we <laughs> watched. For many years, we would uh, we watched that movie on the Fourth of July. It's a perfect uh, movie. And then for a while, we would watch both of them, and uh. and then I would be like, yeah. Really let the air out of the balloon on that second one. Well, that's the thing is, I was going to bring up, like, we watched the second one. So let's try watching the second one. We still haven't finished it. We got about halfway through, and we just weren't feeling it. We need to finish it. But and, and it, it just doesn't have the energy of the original. Now, I love the world building. Right. Well, this is why. This is my theory why it doesn't work. Because in the first film, it's so grounded in our natural reality that we know, Right. They're they're getting they're getting a crop plane pilot to try to take out the 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 enemy where they're scrambling. Everything is based in stuff we know, but in the second film, everything is so outside of our realm, so futuristic that we just like, eh, it's clean. And I think that's why there's this beauty within Yamato and within Galaxy Nine Nine because it's it's this very base rooted technology that we're familiar with, and that's the appeal for people. Most definitely, and yeah, and that's like I said. I think that's why it works so well. Is this strange juxtaposition? Right. The, once you kind of get over the fact that it looks like a steam engine, you go with it. Right. And it just feels the natural. Best, the best speculative fiction stories are the ones that they establish their rules. Mm -hmm. As you know, as if you establish, I know this as a writer of this sort of stuff. You establish your rules early on, and you do it really well. People will accept anything. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't matter ridiculous it is right they will go with anything you want to throw at them right so long as you establish it early and you do it well and then you're consistent right and then if you break those rules you get a reason why you break those rules right and in this one the you know the the movie asks you to believe that there would be a spaceship that looks like a steam locomotive right you go with that you know you'll go with anything everything's good so and and that thing that's what's interesting is that he there is a asking. It's a spec. We're speculating what life could be like in the future, anyways. Uh, there's a podcast I really enjoy called the Untold Podcast, and it's a speculative fiction podcast where every episode is a story um, that's told from a. In uh, in most of the writers that are in it, if not all the writers are, they're Christians, and they're telling these speculative fiction stories. And some of them are are just these crazy, far out sci fi things uh, during. Um, uh, October this past year, he did a series of speculative fictions that carried this horror tone, and it was really, really fascinating to to listen to some of these stories. You should check them out. And but I think people like that aspect of going, "What would it be like 
for us to look forward. And I think that that Galaxy Express really captures that with the pirate theme, with the the ship, and then like even the, on the on the planets, like on Titan, it's basically a western. Yeah, I, there's a level of romanticism. Yeah, to this, that, and a romanticism for old things. Yeah, the we the 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 super high tech spaceship looks like a steam engine. Right. The the first planet they go to is like a wild west world. Right. The, you know things like that. The you know the old and the new kind of blended together. Right. And it, it, like I said, there's a there's a romanticism to it. Yeah, absolutely. What appeals to the audience? Yeah. So well, there's a. It's almost like nostalgia. Yeah. In a way, you know? but it's not a nostalgia over things that you knew as a kid. Or growing up, it's more of a nostalgia of old things. Yeah, you, know, you could be nostalgic for a past time period that you never experienced. Absolutely. So let me ask some though. We, we kind of talked about some stuff we liked and really enjoyed it. Was there anything in this like you were just like I just couldn't stand this? Like it just killed me. I know that one complaint that several people have had over the years, and, that, and it bothered me at times, is you had these beautifully drawn Im- images of individuals, but then you cut to kids, and it looked like a potato. Yeah, that's it's it threw me off. <laughs> uh, you know what the one that really freaked me out and my friend Joe and I cracked jokes about it, which was uh that uh, poor Tetsu young Tetsuro must have been a deformed child <laughs> before puberty or something because his uh, his eyes were amazingly tiny and cycloptically close. I'm just saying. <laughs> it was a little terrifying at points. We thought he was a deformed child at one point. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's uh, terrible. Two guys who've seen plenty of anime and are used to like giant eyes right. and things like that. And you he know, had and nothing. What is wrong with this kid? <laughs> Does he have a birth defect right. or something? Well, at one point there's like like in the opening scenes where they're running from the cops, he tosses the the uh, the, the 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 railway past this other kid, and this kid's running. And I swear, I promise you, the kid running with his arms swinging back. Go back and watch it. The kid's running with a white shirt, his arms swinging back. He looks like Dagum Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> he does. I just kept wondering. I'm like, I was flipping out. Uh, but and then uh, another one that almost took me out at points was uh, uh, th- the movie pays attention to physics until it doesn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the part where uh, Tetsuro fires the gun at Emeraldus's ship, right? And that's. You know, she then then that her ship starts shooting at the Galaxy Express and she boards it and all that kind of stuff. Right. And my first thought was, kid, what are you doing? <laughs> I've seen enough sci-fi movies to know. Yeah, don't shoot out a window in space. Right. But you know, apparently space isn't a vacuum in this universe. <laughs> because he shoots a hole and nothing happens. Nobody's like, plug the hole or anything Everyone's like that. Everyone's real chilled about it. They're like, oh, it's a hole like, into space. Right, Oh, so I'm like, <laughs> why is no one being sucked into? Also, it uh, to use the old joke, it is a, a very noisy day in space. But that's an old that every almost every sci-fi thing has that problem. <laughs> right, absolutely. Explosions in space, and there's whistle. In this case, there's whistles in space, and I'm just like, right. Yeah, but the, I normally wouldn't care so much about the the sound because I've learned to accept that. Right, pretty much everything. But then they do things like. But then I have to you know, start asking questions like, why is there steam and smoke coming out of this thing when it's like the Starship Enterprise <laughs> as uh, <laughs> as a train? Is 
is the smoke and the steam just for show? <laughs> or is that actual exhaust of some kind? I don't understand. Right. I'm asking questions that you're probably not supposed to ask. Right. You're just well, they, with it they, because of the romanticism of it. Right. But I'm just, they don't you know, explain it's one of those, this. There were, there were points where the my romanticist brain and my sci-fi brain were... You right. know, bashing into each other. Well, they kind of explain a little bit of the actual what the smoke thing was. Um, they they mentioned it was a uh, dark matter uh, dry core is what it was using, right? Well, in other Harlockian lore, the dark matter core releases this black plume around it. And okay. So Harlock's ship is actually powered by it. And so he comes like in this in this massive black smoke that just is terrifying as all get out. Because all of a sudden you just, there's a black plume in space and all of a sudden this giant skull's coming out of it. It's terrifying, but awesome. It's legit. And uh, it's, it's the front of his ship is, is, that, is that big skull. And so if you're in the space, you're like, oh, that's Dark Matter Drive, probably. If you're not though, and that's one of the things I just I just liked about it is it, it relied too heavily on you understanding the world of Harlock to be able to get the it, small things. Yeah, but like I said, there were still questions I was asking because this wasn't the only thing I can think of in American animation that's anywhere close to this. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, a Disney movie we were talking about this earlier, but it's a it's a Disney movie. No, it's so underrated. Yeah, and I actually. They call it Treasure Planet. Yeah. Where they establish very early on that this is this is not your typical science fiction. We're going to have sailing ships in space. Right. Okay. So it, they built this very fantastical sci-fi universe, but because you they immediately immerse you in this, and that's just everything is in this is just presented as normal. This is how the universe is. You learn to go along with it, even though it makes no sense. Exactly. From a scientific, realistic even sci-fi sort of concept. Right. But the idea was that this was supposed to be like, if Robert Louis Stevenson actually wrote science fiction right. in his time, what would it be like? Right. And so they just, so that's what they did. And I love the fact that they, it was just pure imagination at that point. Yeah. And I, there, there's definitely a lot of that in this, but whereas with treasure planet it was completely fantastical and then this one is trying to kind of have one foot on each side of the fence right a little bit it's trying to straddle it a little bit that again it kind of brings a little bit of a conflict in my head about what i'm willing to accept <laughs> and what i'm not willing to accept yeah absolutely and it does that and i think that tre- posing those against treasure planet which by the way for those of you who follow us on twitter uh, Celeste and I live tweeted uh, watching Treasure Planet uh, a couple months ago. Celeste had never seen Treasure Planet until a couple months ago, ever in her entire life. So I had to expose her to it. You know what's kind of great? It's actually a legitimately good adaptation of that book. Yeah, it was fantastic. You need to think about that. It's a legitimately good adaptation of the book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, but when you put those together, it really like you're like, you could do so much more. But again, Matsumoto was doing something grander within the the, the manga and the anime. And that that's one of my, I think that's my last complaint that I'd have is that it is condensed. And I think they did a beautiful job. I think they did a good job constructing a story around the central theme that they were trying to put out there. But it does leave you jarred at times. You're like, what? Where am I? Why are we doing this? How is this happening? Yeah. And so you you almost yeah, have to accept more than you should. Little, uh, the transitions are a little sharp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, get a, you 
might get a little bit of whiplash, proverbially speaking, yeah. doing it, which apparently my friend Joe did. <laughs> I was able to navigate it a little bit better. Right. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Well, let's uh, let's bring this down though, and, and it's it's the final question we have to ask ourselves: Is this film worth recommending to other people or not? I would. You would. Why? I would recommend this. I. Because I think I, I love the old fashionedness of this. I love that the like have we've been talking about before the themes, the art style is very unique. It's very much of its era, but it's also I think very timeless. Mm-hmm. And the it's in a lot of ways very unique. Right. If you enjoy Captain Harlock, you should watch this. I have a brother, my brother Jared, who is really into. He's an artist and he loves animation and he loves trains. And I told him I was like we need to watch this movie together. I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah. Or you can watch the first one and then we'll watch the sequel again. Right. Or something like that. Which because I still want to see the sequel. There is a sequel. It's called Adieu Galaxy Express 999. I say 999. Right. So. The, <laughs> but it, so I would recommend it. Now, I would probably, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody I knew because I do think you have to enjoy certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoy old-fashioned science fiction. You have to enjoy anime specifically. Your palate has to include old-school anime. You can't be people who just like, I don't watch anime more than 10 years old. <laughs> At which point I'm just like, I feel sorry for you. Right. But, <laughs> so I, there are caveats to it, but I would wholeheartedly yeah. recommend Awesome. I'm curious to see the show now, too. I wonder yeah. what the show I, I watched some clips of the of the show and it's 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 a lot choppier than the movie uh, as far as the animation style. But again, it was they're running on a budget. They're trying to kick through some things, so it's a lot harder to do the show itself. But um, as far as the the movie, I, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. Depending on who I'm talking to, if they're into anime already, if they already have the mindset of of what old school anime looks like, and if there's somebody that doesn't mind. Um, discourse in a in a film. If they're one of those people like I need just like lots of explosions, bang, quick action. This is probably not the film for them. But there's somebody that's looking for maybe a a conversation piece, a film that's trying to talk to talk to you about something. I think it's a great film to watch. Yeah, and I do think one of the things that helps is that there there's enough anime out there that is like that mm-hmm. that I think people are willing to accept it. Uh, now they're the polar opposite of well. I mean, for you know, for every ghost in a shell, there's Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. But it's <laughs> <laughs> a true story. Yeah, you definitely have to. There, there's a there's a balance of everything. Obviously, I would say this though: if you if you're somebody who was getting into anime and you're and I wanted to steer them towards Galaxy Nine Nine Nine, I would say, hey, check out um, Cosmo Warrior check out the modern renditions of Captain Harlock and lead them into the world and then take them to uh, Galaxy Express 999. I feel like that's a better way because then you have a world building. Like I would even let them, I would even send them to um, Arcadia of My Youth. That's a slow film. It really is. It's interesting, but it's a slow kind of confusing film. So I would tell them to do that and then lead them to 999. I'll take your word on that because I haven't seen any of those. <laughs> Check them out, man. They're, they're. Uh, I think it's uh, free on Prime, actually. Uh, Cosmo Warrior, and it's oh, interesting. Okay. It really is. Um, no, you can't go wrong with space pirates. No, I mean, 
No, you can. You can't go wrong with Space Pirates. <laughs> There's an anime. I can't remember what it's called right now. It is it is utter trash. And all they did was they clipped together other animes together to create this really weird story. And then they dubbed it over completely terribly. I think it's Amazon Prime. I'll find it sent to you later. But it is. Robotech? Huh? Robotech? No, not Robotech. Robotech because I've seen some of Robotech and I like Robotech. No, it's not Robotech. Robotech is a good example of doing this process. This is something entirely like they robbed from Gundam. They robbed from all kinds of crazy stuff. Like it's terrible. Okay, then. I'll find it and send it to you. All right, guys. Well, we're nearing the end of our stop on the uh, Galaxy Express 39, and I'm about to be back home uh, with the rest of you guys here at ComTalk. And uh, it's been a fun time hanging out with you, Nathan. Nathan, for those of us who those have hung out for this entire train trip, where can people find you regularly? Uh, you can, the, well, I'll mention first the podcast. You can go to monsteridonfilmfault.com. That's the website there. You can follow us on like all the social medias now that we're on Twitter, we're on, there's a Facebook page, the Instagram. I just started a, a Twitch channel, but there's nothing on it yet, but I'm planning on it. And there's a YouTube channel where you can listen to some episodes. Occasionally I post some bonus videos on there. You know, at some point I'll probably have videos of my podcast mascots getting into some, you know, crazy shenanigans or something. <laughs> But uh, they're still busy fighting COVID at this point. <laughs> I don't mean like they're sick. I mean like they're out trying to keep it. But anyway, so there's all of that. And then oh, also you can support the podcast on Patreon. I need to make sure I bring that up. I have uh, perks for different levels for of support, including bonus audio. If you want to get into that early access to episodes, uh, behind the scenes stuff. And... Uh, so there's that and then for me as an author you can check out nathanjsmarchand.com yes I had to use my two middle initials nathanmarchand.com was already taken I'm gonna find that guy I'm gonna find that guy we're gonna fuck because my parents are crazy but so there's that and then you can follow me on twitter at nathanmarchand7 and I have a professional facebook page it's called the worlds of Nathan Marchand. Awesome. So I, I think that's everything. Awesome. All the important stuff. Right. And all that information. Oh, I'm contractually obligated to make sure to tell you to also follow my intrepid producer, Jimmy from NASA at NASA Jimmy. And I had a new clause added to my contract. I now have to tell you to follow the Monster Island Board of Directors <laughs> on Twitter, which is, was it? Monster Isla B-O-D. Right. That came out of nowhere. I had no idea. I was like, great. <laughs> Following me on Twitter, too. This is getting weirdly Orwellian. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. All these links and more will be in the description down below, both on the YouTube version and also in the uh, show notes you'll find on Podbean and hopefully whatever podcast uh, things you're using. I haven't tested to see how far how much information I can send over with Podbean, but also on our website where we're hosting these also, geekdevotions.com. Uh, Nathan, I want to say thank you so much, man, for for a housing me on Monster Island for so many lo- so many weeks and months. Dude, you are you're like well, what was the guy who was stuck on Skull Island? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot his name now. Not Harlow. Uh, yeah, Harlow. Uh, Hank Harlow. Yeah, Hank Harlow. You were Hank Harlow there man. for a couple of months. Right. It was. And it, <laughs> since you bring that up, uh, if you guys want to check out, I'll have a link in the description down below to check out my episode I did with. Uh, Nathan, where we talked yeah, so about we Kong, Skull, Kong Island. Skull Island. Uh, Kong Skull Island. We had a good time. Oh, so. yeah. It was a fantastic time. Skull crawlers.
Wars and the, the Vietnam War. So. <laughs> so, but Nate, thanks so much for being part of the show. Thank you for for uh, taking your time out of your busy day and all you do. I really appreciate all you do, man, uh, to uh, be encouraging. I'm telling you guys right now, uh, follow these Twitters because they're hysterical. Like, uh, I work a full time job and uh, I follow all three of these things: the uh, Jimmy, I, Monster Island. And also the board of directors. It is hysterical to watch. It's fantastic fun. Just to kind of give me a little chuckle yeah. during the day. Jimmy has a little bit of a habit of getting into, uh, I, I wanted to say tweet wars, but more like gif wars. <laughs> he keeps starting gif wars with me. It's kind of funny. Oh, gosh. It's good stuff. So now if you guys want to follow us here at Geek Devotions, check out all of our stuff. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look for Geek Devotions. And also, if you guys do us a favor, we, we are kicking back up into the podcast game a little bit more, as you can tell. And um, I missed your podcast. <laughs> I've missed doing them, man. We've just been so busy. But we got some plans. We're going to try to do about twice a month uh, is what Celeste and I are trying to do. Maybe some extra ones thrown in the midst of. And we're trying to bring some people that have some really interesting conversations. Our next upcoming big podcast conversation is going to be me and our good friend Carlos Renfro, where we're going to be talking about book two of Superman Smashes the Clan, uh, which, of course, oh, yeah. is the comic book adaptation of the 1950s radio drama Superman versus the Clan of the Fiery Cross. And uh, if you haven't seen part one yet or listen to part one, go back in our backlogs. It's there. Also, it's on YouTube. And uh, Carlos is a fantastic guy. I can't wait to talk to him about this, some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah, it's such a fascinating story. Oh, it's fantastic. Superman is one of my favorite superheroes, so I get a kick out of it. Oh, man, it's so good. It's such an interesting story with the the radio drama version. Oh, yeah. Because I think it almost didn't get made. Oh, yeah. You know? And then the people who... The guys who wrote it, like, they actually went undercover in the real clan. Yeah. It's so insane. Well, so everything that they were showing was real. So it's like exposing this group. Right. In a Superman story. So it's like Superman's fighting real supervillains. <laughs> That's right. So it is, and we give all that history in our episode. So if you're if your interest is peaked, go back and check out. Again, I'll have the show notes down below. If Nathan has piqued your interest, because again, this is this is a real life stuff that gave. Check out the episode we talked about it. It's really fascinating. Uh, also, do us a favor, review us on iTunes and Apple or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, wherever you review podcasts, and share this out. Share our podcast with some people. Let people know, hey, this is interesting. And uh, again, uh, we want to hear from you guys. So reach out to us. Let us know each other this podcast. Nathan, one last time, dude, thank you so much for all you do. I appreciate you, my man. And so, and to all you amazing devoted geeks out there, remember, stay devoted, peace and love. Sayonara! <laughs> <laughs>